today we're going to be talking about The Chosen, just in time for Holy Week, and also right before um, Chosen Season 2 comes out next week on Easter. Today I'm joined by uh, my guest star and co-host, Michaela Loomis. <laughs> co-host. He's promoted me. Hello! Super excited to be back. Um, glad to be talking about nonfiction this time. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> and then, uh, you know, I think Loomis has a has a podcast coming up pretty soon. I do, yeah. Me and my friend from college, uh, Mary Delvo, are starting our own podcast called Hearts Ablaze, um, where we talk about uh, a whole bunch of issues, or not just issues, but like what it's like being a woman in like the 21st century Catholic church, um, how we talk about vocation in general, and how we can all use our individual unique talents and uh, passions uh, on our path to holiness. And yeah, and how to make good friends along the way. And it's going to be debuting... May 13th. May 13th. Awesome. Yes. So everybody put that in your calendars. May 13th. Listen to Lewis's podcast. So today, back to The Chosen, I think the one of the first things uh, we wanted to talk about was how come in the past it's been so hard to come up with uh, good entertainment around the Bible. There's only been like a few really good, I feel like, you can tell me if I'm wrong, there's only been a few really good renditions of the of this Bible stories over time. Of course... Do, do Veggie Tales count? I was about to say, <laughs> about to say Veggie Tales is so funny. It's like, of course Veggie Tales takes the cake. Category, <laughs> category of its own. Do they have a Veggie Tales for the New Testament though? Um, I don't know, but they do have a Veggie Tales based on Lord of the Rings. That sounds bald. So it, it's called Lord of the Beans. And it is quality. <laughs> How did you feel? Okay, this is going to be kind of interesting. Yeah. How do you feel about the passion? Mel Gibson's passion. I, I actually really like the passion just for the depth of emotion and like the actual ability to like witness Jesus's trauma in some way other than words. Because um, I know in, like, we, we talk a lot about, like, the trauma that Jesus went through in his passion with, like, the scourging and the humiliation and all, all of that in general. But, like, I feel like as modern, like, 21st century Americans, it's hard for us to, like, get past that block of, like, sometimes our brains just don't want to imagine things. So you can say, like, oh, Jesus was scourged. And, like, that really doesn't elicit any emotional reaction a lot of the times. Until you stop and think about it, but then after like what watching, that means. yeah, like what that what means, that felt like. and like watching the passion really, really had an impact on me. I remember watching, like, I think I like I wasn't allowed to see it when it first came out. Like my parents were very like strict about that, and I don't actually, I didn't actually see it until I converted to Catholicism. It was a really big thing. My friends were like, "You haven't seen the Passion?" And I was like, "No." And they're like, oh, "We have to watch it." And I cried the whole way through. You know, one thing that somebody pointed out to me that actually I don't know what you, your take on this is, mm -hmm. but one thing that was cool, interesting about watching the Passion was, is that when you, when you watch the scourging scene, which is I think most people say kind of the most intense scene in that movie, mm -hmm. uh, it actually makes sense why he was so worn out afterwards, like why yeah. he would like why he fell three times because he was like a suppose. I mean, we don't really know exactly what age he was. Most people think he was probably in prime of life. 30, 33 is yeah. the accepted. Exactly. Yeah, so he would have been age. kind of strong in his prime. So why is he like? Why did he fall several times carrying the cross? Right. Yeah. So I thought I thought that was interesting. What are some things mm -hmm. I guess just in, in regards to the passion? What do you think? What are some areas of weakness? Do you think? Casting choice. Okay, for you. Um, just, I mean, for, like, a lot of people. Like, I really appreciate, like, Jim Caviezel. But, like, <sighs> I, like, 
I don't know. I, does he actually, does he have any, like, Middle Eastern background? No. Or, yeah, no. no so he's just a I, white American guy. He's white American. <laughs> and I, I feel like there's a big issue in, like, a lot of... that's, But that's, like, Hollywood in general. You know, I wouldn't yeah. say that's, like... That's a specific thing about, like, making Bible videos. I would so say that's, like, Hollywood. How, how do you feel like he compares to the guy... So I forget his name. The guy who Jonathan Rumi. Yeah, Jonathan Rumi. How do you think he compares... His portrayal portrays to Jonathan's Rumi's? Um, I'm excited to see more of Jonathan Rumi and, like, how, how that progresses. But this is actually super interesting. I'm reading a book called To Know Christ Jesus by Frank Sheed. Mm-hmm. And he actually... Frank Sheed's, like, thesis of this book is that... Um, we need to know Jesus outside of his passion because Jesus at his passion is, is a very different actor than Jesus in his public ministry. And we can look at this specifically for his treatment of Judas, right? Like in the public ministry, like Jesus, like it's kind of like says multiple times, that like he will be betrayed and like, woe to the man who betrays him. Whereas in the passion, like when he's in the agony in the garden, after Judas approaches him, like Jesus greets him and says like, friend, do what you have to do. So like, he is a different person in yeah. his passion versus in his everyday real life. I'm very excited to see Jonathan Rumi transition with that. You know, like I wonder if he's able to pull it off. I think he is because he's so good at being like the the kind of Jesus he is and that he gets to be in the story. Right now, he's great at. I'm excited to see him be a little bit sharper. Mm. Like I, I see if he can be. See if he can be because I I think he has that ability. But uh, Frank Sheed points out in his book that actually we don't we don't really find like the compassionate Jesus until about like halfway through some of like the public ministry. Um, but right off the bat, Jonathan Rumi like immediately is this compassionate figure, which like we can talk also about like ancient bibliographies and what they viewed, what those authors viewed as important facts to record versus like what we as 21st century Americans think is important. Um, but that's kind of different. I think it's interesting though. Um, because when I watched that, when I watched The Chosen, one of the reasons I liked it so much is I felt like Rumi had a good balance between, like, being the leader, being the, being the Christ, but also kind of felt like he could be your buddy. And I feel like that's sort of what Jesus would have been like, because all these yeah. people liked him, they were his friends, they cared about him. So I feel like he would have, I feel like he gets that really well in the book, and the movie. Um, the yeah, show. Jonathan Rumi is very <clears throat> charismatic. Yeah. That comes across very well on screen. Um, but yeah, I, I think it's hard to compare The Passion with The Chosen. Just because we also, until The Chosen gets to the point where it gets to The Passion of Jesus, I don't think we can like make those comparisons. So why do you think that, why do you think it's so hard to get like good entertainment about the Bible? Like why, why is it so few and far between that there's like really good quality stuff? I think part of it is like, funding like I'm not I'm not really sure that like Hollywood wants to fund like the Bible mm-hmm. um and and also just I mean yeah besides veggie tales like I, I really don't know anything <laughs> there was else. a moment in time there was a moment in time and now it's gone but it's it's fine I'm not bitter um but yeah I think it really is funding I think that's that's the big like key thing which is funny because chosen then was funded by fans basically i love it yeah so it's, super it's cool. funny you say funding because they had to go outside of traditional funding sources to get yeah. to get that funding yep and they did it yeah like they they did it really well so which makes me wonder if there's gonna be future like faith-based projects that are gonna be similar you know i honestly really hope that like all of entertainment kind of goes towards that like self-funded yeah well like crowdfunded i mean because then like creatives have more opportunities to present like things that might not necessarily like the critics would like like we joke all the time about how like 
who the critics think is the best movie is not really the best movie of the year. Like, yeah. we talk about this all no, the time. Yeah, like, totally. except with the exception of, like, Lord of the Rings. Like, the, the one exception. The one exception. <laughs> we can all agree on Lord of the Rings. But um, normally, like, what the critics perceive as a good quality movie, like, the general public is just like, I mean, I guess, you know, but... <laughs> yeah. So, one thing that stood out to me, too, is with The Chosen, and I think this is part of the reason why it's so hard to make good material on the Bible is I think that you can err two like two different ways on the spectrum. You can go too far into taking too many creative liberties so that therefore kinda like this is like like that one movie that comes to mind is that Scorsese did about the last temptation of Christ. I oh, it's not a good movie. But, no. Uh, is that like, the Netflix one that people No, no no it's not that one, but it's one that like back in the day, like in the eighties, mm. people like were like really offended by it. Because yeah. it takes like massive creative liberties. The end story that they're trying to tell isn't really wrong. But in the process, they do some damage. Yeah. So that's like on the one end. <gasps> I forgot. We completely forgot Prince of Egypt. Fantastic. Bible. Yeah, but it's Old Testament. Okay, but you said Testament. the Bible. Okay, yeah, I just said the Bible. Shout out to yeah. Madison Chastain. <laughs> but I'm thinking more like Egypt. New Testament. Like okay, Jesus sorry. Story, New sorry. Testament. No, freaking, yeah. Like <laughs> Prince of Egypt's amazing. <laughs> <laughs> Define your terms, Joe. <laughs> but uh, the, uh, what was I saying? Shoot, I don't remember now. I'm sorry, I got excited about the Prince of Egypt. No, it was a great. No, 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 we're talking about adaptations. So, like, the Prince of Egypt takes creative liberties, but it works. Yeah, but the other end of the spectrum is just word for word reciting the Bible, and I don't think that's the way to go either. So, I think that there is like this middle ground where you have creative liberties, but you have to kind of do it faithfully. So, how do you feel about the obvious creative liberties that were taken in the Chosen? So, I think. And this is kind of my problem is I'm kind of like a stickler for detail. And so like sometimes like, so just two of the things that I remember are in the, the fifth episode, um, which is like the wedding at Cana and Mary is talking to, uh, Dinah, 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 the, the wife. in the kitchen with Dinah. Oh my gosh. <laughs> <laughs> Mary, she's portrayed, the, the mother of the groom, mm. um, is portrayed as like Mary's best friend and, and. Mary walks in and, and this woman goes like, Mary, you're here like all the way from, you, you came all the way from Nazareth to Cana. And I'm just thinking like, I have the map of the Holy Land in my head. And I was like, that could have taken you like maybe three hours on horseback. Like it's not, or like even walking, it's not that far. Oh, really? Yeah, it's real close. Like it, Nazareth and Cana are both in Galilee and they're fairly close. So like um, this woman was saying like, Mary, you rode through the entire night to be here. And I'm just like, that's not really true. You know, another, another thing that wasn't true. And what? I don't know if you know this or not. It's be interesting. Is that uh, they, overall their portrayal of Mary was great, but they aged her. Did you notice that? Like, but she doesn't look that old. But so the aging wasn't the problem for me because mm. yeah, she was a little older. But then at the same time, like people get old faster when you're like you're living like in the elements mm. or whatever. Do you mean like aged, or do you mean like like she has wrinkles, or do you mean like? Sorry, you did pretzel. <laughs> He is. He's no. just <laughs> flaunting the fact that he can eat wheat in front of oh, me. Oh, yeah, you can't even eat that stuff. I, I can't even I eat that work. stuff. You don't worry about that, right? I'm sorry. It's fine. I, hope you don't I know. Yeah. I'm not offended. You're good. I used to do that in college where I'd like bring, I think I told you this, I'd bring like peanut butter to my friend who would like die if they had peanut butter. <laughs> I just am so thoughtless with that. <laughs> no, you, um, so no they offense. aged Mary. Tell me, what do you Mary's mean? Mary's not supposed to age. I've never heard this. Oh, wow. This is the first time I've heard that Mary... What do you mean Mary's like, not supposed to like, age? I feel Like she's not supposed to get wrinkles? She doesn't age because she doesn't have original sin. So mm. she doesn't actually... She would have stayed however old... She would have stayed kind of in her prime her whole life. She wouldn't have gotten gray hair, stuff like that. Hmm. Yeah. I don't know because there's also the tradition that Mary chose to feel childbirth pain. 
Um, oh, I've never heard that. Yeah, so this is really important for like women. Sorry, Joe. But um, part of the... I can't be a woman, sorry. <laughs> well, <laughs> well, I guess technically I couldn't part be. Of, and, uh, so one of my friends just gave birth. Um, but so we were talking like leading up to her labor about how like we as women are supposed to, like we as Catholic women are supposed to like look to Mary as mm. like the definitive woman. And it's kind of hard to look at a woman and being like, yeah, but when you gave birth, you didn't go through that insane amount of pain. There's actually church, like church father's tradition. I was going to say Jerome, but like I don't want him to like be mad at me. So I'm not going to name drop <laughs> anybody. But um, the, the tradition that Mary chose to feel pain in childbirth because she, she wanted to have that solidarity with women. Um, and so maybe it's the same kind of thing. Maybe she would have chosen to age because part of the consequence of original sin is that our bodies no longer respond to our wills. And so she could have willed to feel pain in childbirth. She could have willed to age. I think that's just something that we don't. It's an interesting idea. I've never heard that. I've always yeah. kind of heard the more she wouldn't have aged, she wouldn't have felt childbirth. I think I fall more on that side, but I'm not against, obviously. Yeah. The other thing could be true too. I mean, but so what, so <clears throat> that didn't bother me as much, but what also bothered me about Mary is she made a comment to Dinah about... Like, Joseph and I didn't get a wedding. And then Dinah's like, what do you mean? And Mary, like, mimes, like, her pregnant belly. And she's like, you know why. And I'm like, actually, they were technically married when Mary got pregnant. They just weren't living in the same house. Like, a Jewish betrothal was not how we think of betrothal. Mm. So it was, they were literally, they were married. They were husband and wife. They could have consummated their marriage. Just they weren't living in the same house. Yeah. Oh, interesting. I didn't know that. Notation, Frank Sheed, to know Christ Jesus. <laughs> I didn't know so, that one. See, I'd always, yeah. heard, I'd always heard the other one, which is they're betrothed, but they still weren't supposed to be doing that kind of stuff. I believe you. I just, that's what I'd heard. Yeah. And then, so there, that's why people, but I like this story better. No, and it actually shows Joseph in a better light because it wasn't that he was a quote unquote righteous man and he was like, oh my gosh, Mary, like Mary committed adultery, you yeah. know, um, because they both grew up in the same area and like we think of like nowadays where it's like you don't know everybody in your town because you live in a town of a hundred thousand people that wasn't a thing so like everybody knew everybody so if mary was conceived without original sin like and she was sinless literally everyone would have known mary as this righteous sinless woman like it, it would have been a complete and utter like reversal of character for it to have been mary committed adultery and Joseph knew that about her. So when when Joseph's like, all right, Mary's a virgin, Mary's pregnant, this is, like, this could be a big deal because, like, the Messiah is supposed to come from a virgin. Like, But he was going to divorce her, though. He was going to divorce her because of what he didn't think he was worthy of her. That's an interesting take on it. Yeah. That's an interesting It's not take. my take. So, I mean, that's one of the great things. That's about an being, interesting take. I yeah, like I, can, I can give you sources. But it's also um, just that Joseph, like was this holy, humble man who was like, no way, I'm not worthy to be the Messiah's father. Oh, I can totally see him having that That fear, right? That that utter fear. And that's why when the angel appeared to him, he said, Joseph, do not be afraid to take Mary into your home. He didn't say, don't be afraid. Don't, he didn't say Mary didn't sin. He said, Joseph, don't be afraid to take Mary into your home. So I, I just feel like we just went off on a whole like no no because we were we were talking about like we were <laughs> talking about liberties. creative liberties yeah. and so my problem is like you can take creative liberties with like conversation but maybe it's also just because I'm Catholic and I just like feel like I gotta put up my fists anytime anyone mentions Mary mm. but like yeah so just th- those two things were a little off and I'm kind of worried just to see like what else because there are some mm, significant yeah. like doctrinal difficulties. Um, and so that's more what I'm I'm worried about. Well, but, they um, skirt around it the way they did in the first season. It should be okay. 
Yeah. And Jonathan Rumi's Catholic, so I trust him. Yeah, so. and they have like priests and like rabbis and stuff. Yeah. Help you with the I'm, show. No, I'm a but 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 literally besides like those two things and the fact that I don't agree with their portrayal of Mary Magdalene, but that's just because I have a What would you like about that? Um so the, the the problem is like this is where like tradition allows for diversity. Where so there's like many different women that could have been Mary Magdalene. Right. Um my view is that uh, and this is actually um, St. John Chris Austin's view, um, is that Mary Magdalene is the woman who had seven demons cast out of her, the woman Jesus saved from prostitution, and or the woman and the woman who like poured spike nard on his head right before... And his he, feet. At his, yeah, and his feet. And then um, Mary of Bethany. Like, I believe that's those are all the same person. Right. And there's like a whole reason why St. Chris Austin goes into that better. But... Um, yeah, so I mean, I just, I wasn't like disappointed, but I was like, oh, that's not, that's not my view. But it, like, I still love Mary Magdalene very dearly. So it's, yeah, that wasn't a big, that wasn't as big of a deal, but it's just, I was like, oh, Well, okay. I think another creative liberty there is, do we know that she was following Jesus around? We don't really know that, do we? Um, it does say that she was like listed. And then actually in today's readings, Mary Magdalene's listed as a woman who was at the foot of the cross. And then they specifically say about how she was one of the women that ministered to Jesus during his public ministry. Oh, okay. So she, it's, it's, um, she could have followed him around. Yeah. And no, and so it, no, totally, totally she could have. So that wasn't really something I had a problem with. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I, it was more of just a personal like, oh, that's not, that's well, not it, what It's funny that you bring up Mary Magdalene because in my, which we're going to get to in a little bit, in my rating of like who, like which episode is number one. Yeah. Um, I'm not going to give that away yet, but in that list, I do talk about how powerful the moment is. In the first episode where Jesus does call Mary, I think that's a really big moment. So can I share like a personal prayer thing I had with that? Sure. Is that cool on your podcast? I don't know. Um, so I recently like my like life path diverted. Like I was going to go to med school. I was going to be a doctor, all of this. And then I had like this experience like in prayer and then like actually thinking about my life. And I was like, actually, I, I don't think I'm called to be a doctor. Like I think I'm using that as a way to like as an idol or pushing me away from God or whatever. Um, and I started joking around with people. I was like, yeah, Jesus hit me over the head with a two by four. <laughs> like, yeah, Jesus. And then I was in prayer and Jesus was like, Mikhail, like he didn't actually speak to me, whatever. The word is con natural knowledge. Go ask St. Thomas Aquinas. But Jesus was more like, Michaela, how do I speak to you? And I was like, with like gentleness and like a gentle touch and loving gaze. And that's how you communicate to me. And then literally I after having that prayer time, I finished watching the first episode of The Chosen, <laughs> and that's how he speaks to Mary Magdalene, and I was just on the floor, like, weeping, and I, like, called my friend, and I was like, you did this to me? <laughs> but, yeah, so that's It's what. just so cool, that, that episode, how everybody's kind of going about their business, and, like, a lot of the apostles are, they seem a little shady, like, Peter seems Oh, I love it. I love how shady Peter is. Yeah, but, like, then <laughs> Matthew's kind of weird, and it's just, like, the world... I'm also like... in love with Andrew, so <laughs> <laughs> just write that down. But, like... <laughs> This is like the last episode of the James Potter thing. Listen! Every episode's gonna be Listen, different. Who is Michaela in love with this time? But, uh, it's kind of like, it's almost like, is it, like where, where are they? Where are they in? Where is Matthew? Gal- um, they're in Capernaum. Capernaum. It's so in it's Galilee. almost like Capernaum's like this microcosm of like the world. Yeah. And like, I it's just it. not a very happy place. And then all of a sudden, like, Jesus is there. And all of a sudden, it's a little, like, it's like a happier place. Things get better, yeah. Yeah, it's a weird, it's a really great contrast that they do. I, I really love that. Yeah. So, but yeah, I think overall, I think that the creative liberties they take with a lot of the story, like with the like Peter, 
a lot of those things, I feel like it actually helps build up the story. I don't think it detracts from the story. Yeah, there's um there's a Catholic tradition called Lexio Divina, and that's like putting yourself into a Bible story and like making it real. You know, like so imagining the conversation between the characters, like like being like, Okay, who Jesus, who am I in this story? Like yeah. how do you want to talk to me? When I was watching The Chosen, it literally felt like an in depth Lexio Divina. Yeah. Um where yeah, and, and it's um it is really beautiful and like we said, like there are some issues um with like just some little stuff, you know, like all the apostles except for John actually were married. So when mm. Peter says like I'm the only married one, I was like, eh, wrong. But like, <laughs> I didn't notice that. Yeah, that's a good one. Yeah. yeah. That. Well, because uh, I was talking to my friend about like meditating on like the apostles' wives and that mm. kind. Of, but that's a, I mean, that's a again, like that's not necessarily like something that like. We need to do a podcast of like like uh, what's the word? Like things that are wrong in the show that are like you know what I'm saying? They're not actually well. It's like so. Also, this is where it's like uh, we have. There's a phrase like "don't demand uniformity" where the church allows for diversity, um, and I feel like in a lot of this, that's where it is. Except we do know that like the apostles probably were married. I think that I guess I guess one thing, one more thing before we get into the actual ranking of the episodes, <laughs> which will be interesting to see what our different differs, how it differs. Oh, actually, one more one more irregularity was my brother. One thing that my brother brought up. But do you remember was his I, brother John Peter? Yeah, he brought up like. At the wedding at Cana. We stand by the John Peter. <laughs> I want to be going. I keep trying to get him on the show. And he, has, he won't okay, do it. Okay. Uh, uh, well, your sister and I are going to a Dominican event, so I'm just going to call him out. Just tell him, like, dude, be on the episode. Brother John Peter. Yeah. But, uh, like, something about the wedding at Cana, my brother said it was, like, something to do with the servants. Like, the servants were supposed to take part in, like, I think... I don't remember what happens, but somehow, like, the servants were supposed to be involved more I mean, than they were. they filled the things. Yeah. Like, that was a thing. Oh. I love how Thomas, the apostle, was, a, like, was one of the banquet people. Was that what Brother that John Peter... That was so Peter, great. He had no, an issue with that? that? No, it was something to do with the servants. Like, the servants, like, how maybe how Jesus sends the servants out of the room. But, oh, no. Okay, maybe. Yeah. Because they're supposed to be there because, like, the servants are the an witnesses. active part of the, yeah. of the story. So it was. It wasn't that big of a deal. Okay, but that's like a Thomistic level. Yeah, I you know. don't like. <laughs> <laughs> it's beyond the scope of the show. It's beyond the scope. <laughs> he's like a real. No, I'm almost a real Dominican, but he's like a, a Excel. I'm like intermediate. No, he's a technically a real Dominican. His OP is day now. Oh yeah, no, no, no. But he's like the level of. I'm like intermediate Dominican. Oh, okay. I'm baby Dominican. He's like active mm, okay. adult Dominican. I hope he listens. My brother Tom Peter. <laughs> I'll send this to him. Yeah. He listened to our Harry Potter one. Yes. He was like, that was actually pretty good. <laughs> Thanks, brother. Oh my gosh, I'm so That's psyched. Hilarious. Okay, anyway. Okay, anywho, so moving on to how do you feel about so how I know like I did actually did a little bit of research and I think that the I read that the accents that like Rumi uses because um, I guess Rumi's really into accents and stuff mm-hmm. and I guess that's so, a somewhat accurate depiction of what the accent would have been at that time yeah. so I think that's cool how do you feel about the fact that they sort of modernized the language how do you feel about that whereas like yeah. ju- juxtapose that with like uh, the passion where they went like with it's the actual Aramaic, language yeah. Yeah. Like, what do you, what's your um, so I listened to Jonathan Rumi did a podcast with Matt Fred on Pints with Aquinas and he, Jonathan Rumi actually mentioned this that like they were originally going to do the whole thing in either Aramaic or Latin, you know, like, and mixing up depending yeah. on who was talking with who. Uh, and then they said it would have been, like, just ridiculous. Like, it would have cost too much, too much time. They couldn't have done it in the scope of the project. Um, I I actually appreciate the more modern language because I believe that, like, Jesus speaks to us 
like with the language that we have and like obviously like we need to step up and like learn what words mean but like also Jesus doesn't necessarily let that limit him in speaking to us Mm. so I appreciate the accents because I think that really does put us in a place you know like whatever and I I appreciate um so it's like Shahar Isaac is actually from Israel and so like his accent is legit and then Jonathan Rumi said that he took his accent from his dad who is Egyptian I believe and then his aunt is actually Palestinian so he like mixed things together and he said it actually sounds fairly legit and so I appreciate that I thought it was funny how a lot of the Romans bounced from like American accents to British to British and I was like just pick one like either put them all in American or like Put them all in British, you know, or try and find out what a Roman accent would have sounded well, that's, like. I, I'm glad you brought that up because yeah. it was funny to me. I also had an issue because some of the actors are wearing Chacos What's in the Chaco? scenes. Chacos are like the sand, the modern sandals. Oh, I know. Like noticed. you can see they're like the sandal straps. Oh, that's like anyway. I that. But Chacos. one thing that was funny to me is that Romans would have been a very like multicultural people. Especially in that area. Oh, so they might, they would have had, <clears throat> totally because Gaius is German, so he should have. But, but this is the thing to me, is that they make a point of pointing, how Ga- pointing out how Gaius is German. Yeah. And that he would have somewhat stood out in Rome by being German. Yeah. But they just de facto made all of the Romans look like northern, white, northern, white, not just northern white, Europeans. northern Europeans. Yeah, you're right. It's like, why? Like, Romans would have been that all kinds true. of people. Actually, in like a lot of stuff that we see, Romans are always white Northern Europeans. But that's not really accurate what they would have looked like. So no. I guess it's is. just we have this idea of like England ruled the world for a while, and now we rule the world, so obviously. So it's the white British white. Americans yeah, exactly. ruling the world. But it's not, that's not what it would have looked like. Because I wonder, they would have looked more Italian, right? Maybe? They would have looked like all kinds of people. But everybody. But I mean, I wonder like the Roman Romans. No, it would look like everybody. Still mixed, you, yeah. The thing is, there's one really interesting thing why we don't know why Augustine is black or white Ooh. is because the Romans didn't think that way. You were either Roman or you weren't. Right. They didn't care what your skin color was. There would have been probably some Italian-looking Romans, but then they were so broad at that point, it would have looked like all kinds of people. So, I don't know. The, this make, is super interesting. Making them look like Northern European when actually the Northern European-looking ones would have been like the oddity, that to me is a little yeah. funny. Yeah. But, you know, whatever. No, I can... I can see that. Yeah, yeah. That's, a, that's a really good point. Yeah. And so, anyway, let's get to... this. Is, I think this will be interesting because I feel like you're probably going to disagree with me with how I rank these episodes. And I might even disagree now that it's been some time since I wrote this. <laughs> I'm going to disagree with myself. <laughs> that's okay, Joe. Let's go through this. We're allowed to change our minds. <laughs> so, number one... Actually, I'm going to start from... You're going like, to start with number 10? We'll start with number, the last one. Number eight. What oh, I number think eight. Is, what I think is last on the list. Okay. So, I put as the least as like the, the worst episode not because it's the worst but just in the series is number two Shabbat Shabbat I just feel like it was mm-hmm. an episode where it was cr- critical to setting up things later but it just didn't have any really big exciting moment in it where would you what would, would you agree or disagree yeah hmm so this is actually interesting I've become more of an internal processor as time goes on <laughs> and I'm like oh now I'm a podcaster I'm literally supposed to externally process um no so I I appreciated the second episode just because I thought the first episode had such a good build up and then the ending was so emotional that like I needed the second episode Mm. to like to connect dots you know to like to calm down um I also I wasn't expecting to like Nicodemus as much as I do Oh, Nicodemus is great. Yeah. I love and that so guy. so I, yeah, I really appreciate him. And then I loved his interaction with Mary 
and about how he was open, you know, and when she said it wasn't you, he wasn't offended. And I think Mary actually mentions this later on in the, the series. Um, but I love when Mary was like, oh, I'm setting a chair for Elijah. And I'm like, oh, that's good. Jesus is going to come. And then he does. And I was like, that's fine. Um, no, I, I, that, I think watch it these is, more closely. I watched this like three times. I didn't even notice that. I, Probably because this is my least favorite episode. <laughs> I, I, I mean, I just kept watching. But I, I really appreciated Mary's line, the like... Um, what she says, like, all I know is that I met him and now I am completely different. Oh, yeah. And so, like, honestly, I would rank this episode higher just for that. But also, I, like, yeah. Yeah. I mean, I don't know. So, the problem is there's only eight. Yeah, it's hard. So, it's like... Oh, they're all good. Yeah. So, number seven, I put Jesus Loves Little Children. Jesus Loves Little Children. Which, like, I just felt like it's the only episode that you really could cut out. Um, And it wouldn't really... Like, you could cut that episode out and it wouldn't have any effect on the rest of the story. But I also really like how that portrayed Jesus, how, like, he should, like that whole storyline in the Bible that, that is in there, how Jesus is kind to the children at a time when the children were seen as not very, like, not, like... Not speak. useful. Yeah, kind of yeah. like a burden on society. Especially the girls, kind yeah. Like how we see them now. Oh! <laughs> but, like, uh, I, I just... But I put it higher than number two just because it... As a standalone, it did work really well, but it also didn't impact the plot. Yeah, so. I think this is probably the only one we're going to disagree with. I think I just would have switched those. Okay. Like, I would have just... I think that's fair. Yeah. I think it's a fair I switch. mean, I did really, like, connect with Abigail because, like, she kept raising her hand and, like, saying all the <laughs> things. And Jesus is like, let's give the kids who actually go to Torah class. And I was like, I, Abigail, babe, I've, <laughs> I am the same way, my girl. That's interesting. So, well, actually, I, was, yeah. I, was, I just, like, scrolled up. I was like, oh, maybe that should have been last. So this is pretty... <laughs> okay, this one's... Then I, from here on out, the rest of them are so good. It's kind of hard. Oh. But I, I put as number six... Um, the indescribable compassion, which I think is the mm-hmm. one where that's the leper. That's yeah. the lowering of the friends. The friends lower the guy in the roof. Yeah. And then Nicodemus gets Mary to set up a meeting with Jesus. It's very action packed, but again, not any of those really big moments that make up the rest of the show. So that's yeah. what I'm going I mean, I feel like this is the problem with Jesus's public ministry, and I feel like in the Bible we get the same thing. It's like you're re you're reading and reading and reading and thing or watching and like things are happening, and you're mm. just like, oh my gosh, okay, we get it. Jesus heals people. Let's <laughs> move on, you know. But like that's not how it would have been in real life. No, yeah. So um, I think James made a really good question to Jesus, and he was like, Master, like, do you want to camp out here? You know, like, do you actually want to keep moving around? And Jesus' response is, um, my only desire is to do the will of my Father. Interesting. And, like, I feel like that kind of ties into, like, for us it seems monotonous, but, like, for them, this would have been unbelievable. Mm. Like, just, I feel like we're just kind of done with, oh, yeah, Jesus heals people. Let's get isn't on that, to the cool part. Isn't that kind of like, um, like, when they had the, when they had the, the Ark of the Covenant? The Ark of the Covenant always wanted to be outside. It wanted. Yeah. I, wanted, I, I, but yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. It desired. <laughs> Like, that just reminded me, I don't know if that's anything real. I feel like real, Indiana but... Jones vibes. No, but like, no, I mean, I, I just feel like we as, like, as I know America is no longer a Christian nation, but like we're a post-Christian nation. And part of that post-Christian time means that we've all heard all of these stories, you know, and, and mm-hmm. we've grown up with them. And we joke about VeggieTales, but like, yeah, VeggieTales. VeggieTales so like, awesome. that's what I'm but like, we've heard all of this. And so when we get to this episode of Indescribable Compassion and Jesus touching lepers and like, letting poor Zebedee and his wife's roof get cut open to lower <laughs> a man down. You know, we're we're numb to that. I love how they portray Peter. How yeah. he's like he's kinda of like the PR guy. He's like, Oh yeah. you got a good look? You got, you got a good, good look, look at my boy. Yeah, you got, 
How do you like? You see him? Yeah, like, we're doing good. He has like no idea I, what this, what's gonna happen. I'm obsessed. I love <laughs> Peter so much. Okay, so number five. This one actually, I put on number five, but I really love this one, Ooh. which is invitations, and that's I love this one simply because this is Matthew's episode. Matthew, my boy. And like that yeah. moment, which the series has really been leading up to it till this point yeah. of like Matthew's like com- conflict, and just how simply Jesus calls him. Yeah. I feel. Like that was that was amazing. I don't know. Yeah. What was your take on that? Um, yeah, I I liked how we in the series we see that Jesus is friends with these people or like that these people know of Jesus before he just shows up and yeah. says, "Hey, you get out of your box." You know. Like, <laughs> whereas when we read the gospels individually, like some of the gospel writers don't write things that the other gospel writers write. Um, so a lot of times, if you're just sitting down to read Mark's gospel and it says like, or uh, yeah, Mark's gospel and it says like. Andrew, Simon, follow me. They get mm. up and they leave. You yeah. know, that's very weird to us. But the show does a really good job of being like, no, they knew of Jesus. So like uh, with Peter and uh, Andrew or Simon and Andrew and uh, James and John and Zebedee and all the fish and having Matthew be there and see that. And then Jesus being able to say, hey, Matthew, follow me. It's not as big of a moment as Mary, Mag- Mary Magdalene's calling, but all all he, all he Math- Matthew really needs is that simple, like, what does he say? Like, what does he say? Follow me? That's it? Yeah, I think so, that's what it is. I thought that was really cool. And really intuitive, too. Mm-hmm. Number four, I am he. This oh. Is the final episode. Good. Yeah. I don't know. I would have ranked this higher just because, like, the scene with Nicodemus at the well mm. and Jesus being like, my friend, you came so close, mm. like, breaks my heart because, like, we know that the next time we see Nicodemus is when he is at Jesus' trial like standing up for Jesus in a way, you know, like that's the next time we see Nicodemus. And so it's just knowing like, uh, yeah, yeah. I don't know. I it's have a, a lot good of episode. feelings. It's a good episode, but it's just not cool. Not I don't know. But the, the, en- the ending song I've been playing on repeat. Oh yeah. Past, like, I love month. that scene. And, like when Jesus is walking down with like some strong like boy band. <laughs> like I, yeah. It's well, and it's true though. Cause Jesus does upset our lives and yeah. Bringing trouble is kind of his, uh, MO. Number three, I put the wedding gift. Yeah, I would put this one higher. Really? Okay, why? So the wedding at Cana is like really, I don't know, it's just one of, it's like, it's big. Like we could just like say that it's like, I mean, it's Jesus' first miracle, all of that. But like I actually got to travel to the Holy Land in 2017 and we got to see the church that was built on top of the house that this miracle took place in. And so like it's one of those like things that, oh, I've been there and like I can like feel that same feeling. Um, but besides the things we talk about Mary and like some of those issues, um, literally the whole episode, just seeing Jesus and Mary, like seeing each other and then like Mary running and like Jesus just like picking her up and being like, Oh, Ima. And I'm just like weeping, but like seeing them interact and then just, yeah. I mean, there's some things I disagree with it. Like, I don't think Mary would have been as like frantic when she comes up and asks Jesus to fix it. Mm. I like in just in my mind, you know, she trusts her son completely. And so like, she wouldn't have been frantic, you know, she would have been like, Jesus, like they have my son, they have no wine, you know, Mm. like expecting him to fully do what she asks because she's his mother. So, but so would you, would you rank this number one? I don't know if I would rank this number one. Um, but this is just, I've also watched it over and over again. I love Thomas. Like I love Thomas (laughs) and I love the girl and how there's like kind of flirtation going on and that's really, really cute. Um, 
I love when the bride's dad says, like, uh, or, like, the bride's mom is, like, is something wrong? And the bride's dad goes, yes, I was. You know, and, like, <laughs> I just, I and I love the miracle itself, you know, of, like, Jesus portraying himself as the new bridegroom and, like, yeah. well, that, giving the overabundance <clears throat> of wine from water. It, yeah, it's, I think my favorite part in that episode that was not in the Bible is the... The dialogue, I think it's James, not James, it's somebody else, somebody, somebody's talking, maybe... Simon, it's uh, Simon. Thaddeus, it's Thaddeus oh, and Thaddeus. Mary, and they're talking about the stonemason, yeah, the first cut. Having that oh. go simultaneously with Jesus making his first big miracle where mm-hmm. he can't go back after this, I think that was extremely well thought out. And then I think, to me, this, as a standalone episode, this is the best episode. That's yes. my opinion. Okay, I, I if agree, you just, yeah. Like, if the other the rest of the series didn't exist, and this was it, like, if, you, if each of them just existed on their own... This would be the best one. I love the thing with, like, Andrew is still very unsure. And Andrew is like, it's cold in this region. And Mary's <laughs> like, do you think he'll let you freeze? And Andrew just kind of, like, goes, I don't know. Andrew's like, freaking hilarious. I, oh, that moment that's so well done in, like, the, we, the one we just talked about. Yeah. Um, I am he. Mm-hmm. Where Jesus is like, I have food of which you do not know or something like that. <laughs> and then Andrew's like, who gave you food? <laughs> So I have to shout out my my friend Evelina Williamson, who is a uh, campus Catholic outreach missionary in Canada. She's the one who finally got me to watch this, and I was like like live tweeting her the entire time I was watching this. I had to pause and like cackle during that because like we've talked about it before, where it's just like sometimes Peter says stupid stuff, but like Andrew is now also saying stupid stuff, so maybe it's like genetic, you know, <laughs> Peter being like. Oh, there's Elijah and Moses of the Transfiguration. Do you guys want tents? And <laughs> Andrew being like, who got you food? You know, it just... so hilarious. I loved it. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. Anyway, yeah. Love the one-liners. Next so one. number two, I put the rock on which it's built. Largely because the whole story to me, with, like, up until this point, episode four, the whole story is going towards, like, this whole thing with Peter. And um, I just love the way that, like, Peter... The way it's portrayed where Peter... Uh, finally, like, is trying to, like, get this desperate attempt to save his family and save himself. Yeah. And then the way Jesus just kind of tells him, like, go back out and try it again. The way that that's just done and the build-up to that, I just think that that's one of the best movements in the whole show. What do you think? Yeah. Yeah, no, it's, it, it is so, so impactful. And it's, again, something that, like, if you realize that, like, Peter would have kind of known Jesus before this... Because, yeah, again, like what Frank Sheed talks about, like these people are in the region, like they know each other. Um, And so it, yeah, having Andrew coming up to Peter earlier in the series, we see and Andrew being like, no, like I have seen the, I have seen the Messiah, you know, like I've seen Christ and Peter just totally blowing him off. (laughs) And then um, this happening with the abundance of fish, you know, it's. I, I think it also reminds us that, like, God comes to us where we are at and yeah. like, what, with what we need. Because, yeah. like, Jesus could have shown up and, like, made Peter a new house or, you know, like, done something else crazy. But, like, Jesus, like, was like, you need fish? I'm going to give you fish. You know, like, he, he plays into what we are already doing with our lives. And I like that they showed that in the movie because yeah. in the, or the TV show. Because in the Bible, you don't really know what's going on. And, like, I'm not saying this is what was going on. We don't know that Peter had these debts and all this stuff. Because in the Bible, it's just kind of like Jesus shows up and he's kind of like, oh yeah, here's here's a bunch of fish. Here's a bunch of fish. Which is cool, but (laughs) this story makes it seem like, oh yeah, he needed that fish. And so then when Peter's just like, what does he say? Depart from me, I'm a sinful man. Yeah. Like, he has been a jerk for an episode. So really, it just all is so powerful to me. Number one, the first episode, 
I have called you by name. Again, we kind of talked about this already. I put this as everyone just because I think that obviously Loomis is <laughs> No, I have a lot of feelings. Can I just think that that final scene, first of all, the whole first episode sets up the world so beautifully, so well. Mm-hmm. And then the final scene where Jesus calls Mary, I think is probably the most, I guess I really rank these not based on the episodes, but based on the biggest moments. Moments, yeah. And that to me, that is the biggest moment in the series so far. <sighs> yeah. Yeah. No, it's a lot. So I'm just sitting here, like, looking at this carton of orange juice because it's, <laughs> it's, it is so powerful. I mean, like, again, like, personally, I said it was really powerful for me, right? Because Jesus had, like, reminded me in prayer right before I watched this that, like, that this is how Jesus talks to people. Like, I feel like in 21st century America, we really expect God to, like, come and, like, yell or, like, we expect him to be loud or we expect... Like, that kind of thing. But, like, a lot of the times, that's not how Jesus acts. Like, he looks, and, like, it's the gentleness, and it's the piercing gaze that you can't look away from. And this episode played it out so well. Um, And what a great way to introduce Jesus. Like, yeah, yeah. Chills. Literal chills. (laughs) So, yeah. yeah. Awesome. Well, thanks so much, Loomis, for joining me for... Keeping up with Joe. Yeah, thanks for having me back. Yeah, no, hopefully we'll do another one soon. This is so if you guys want to read the article that um, that this podcast accompanies, you can look it up on josephwriteranderson.com. Also, don't forget to subscribe to my newsletter to have unique content mailed to you every month. Again, this has been Keeping Up with Joe. We look forward to seeing you next time. Thank you.